The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting. And it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvelous stuff, marvelous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Thursday, May the 7th, 2020. And I hope you are well on this Thursday. Lots of things going on around this globe that we live on and live in. And I hope that you are finding a way to keep yourself focused in these very tough times. Today, Michigan is the focus of this episode of the podcast. And in just a few moments, I am going to be speaking with Susan Demas, the editor-in-chief of the Michigan Advance. It is a newspaper that is a non-profit dedicated to covering the news in Michigan and a newspaper that has a progressive perspective on the issues and on what's going on in Michigan. Michigan is going to be one of those very important states that is going to be key to this coming general election here in the United States. Lots going on in Michigan, and I'm going to be speaking to Susan Demas about all of this and this because Michigan is a state that I think is going to be very, very important, as are all the states, but we're going to see this be very important. Well, thank you very much for 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 being on. This is a let me just say once again, this is Susan Demas. She is the editor in chief of the Michigan Advance. Uh, it's a newspaper that is a nonprofit in Michigan. It it has a, a progressive perspective on a lot of the news and information that you need. And I want to thank you very much for coming on, Susan, to talk about the state of Michigan today. Thank you so much for having me. Susan, um, there is so much to say about Michigan and so much to talk about. One of the things I wanted to get started on, just to ask you, about where you see the lay of the land for Michigan right now. There's a lot of power struggles going on. And ever since Governor Whitmer has taken the helm, we have seen a lot of pushback, to say the least, from the Republican legislature. Can you talk a little bit about that as far as Michigan is concerned at the moment, please? Sure. So prior to the 2018 election, we had had eight straight years of complete Republican control in Michigan for the governor, 
both houses of the legislature and the Supreme Court. Um, and so Democrats were really a non-factor in, in the state overall. So it was quite a turnaround in Michigan because we were one of those states where the blue wave really crashed and Democrats won every top state office, the governorship, attorney general, secretary of state, main, and uh, maintained a U.S. Senate seat. Um, and it was all women as well, which was fairly unusual. Um, and so you have a partisan dynamic in Michigan. There's also a gender dynamic because the uh, leadership in both the House and the Senate are both um, men, um, Republican men. And, um, you know, a lot of their language has not been terribly respectful about the governor, in addition to them not agreeing with her on policy. You had the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Mike Shirky, call her um, bat, if I can say it, yes. batshit crazy. He was he was directly quoted on this. So, um, And this was long before the COVID-19 crisis. So that kind of sets the stage. And we're not terribly unusual to, to have these kinds of clashes. Um, they're going on in a lot of states and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin nearby and across the country. And um, there are a lot of places where you have Republicans who have tried to do power grabs on Democratic governors and been successful, like in North Carolina. Yes. And you've written extensively about this for the Michigan Advance. And it's, it's, it's really apropos that you mention this, because what we are seeing now, it seems to me, is very clear. There is a playbook that the Republicans in particular are playing by, which is to really um, usurp and crush the power and, and make sure that any Democratic politician in power is being completely compromised. And this is chiefly being done through a lot of these Republican legislatures. Um, would you agree with that at all? Yes, I would, especially because, you know, I did take some time to um, research what has been going on in other states, and there's a clear pattern that's emerged. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that probably the, the overall um, philosophy of the Republican Party right now is that the only legitimate um, – the, the only party that can legitimately use power is the Republican Party. Um, they have no problem with President Trump's many, many executive actions. Um, Republicans have not said anything in Congress about that encroaching on their power overall. There have been a couple peeps, but, you know, not anything resounding. Um, but at the state level, you're seeing massive Republican pushback against any Democrats that wield any power. And in Michigan, it wasn't just fighting the governor. It was trying to take away the power of the attorney general and the secretary of state before they even took office back in our lame duck session in 2018. Yeah, and Dana Nessel is the attorney general there that you mentioned. Um, and indeed, um, and she had quite a campaign. I'm sure you're very familiar um, the campaign ads, some of the campaign ads that she ran were were quite unique. And she's also become someone, I think, who has um, now been sued, if I'm not mistaken. She is being sued, is she not? Um, 
She has been fighting with the Trump administration and and joined many coalitions to sue Trump over immigration, economic policy, birth control. Um, She is fighting with an oil company that has sued over um, a massive pipeline that goes through northern Michigan and other states. So that may be the lawsuit. Um, Certainly Republicans back the oil company. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I was also wanted to ask you about is, um, I mean, before Governor Whitmer came in, there was Rick Snyder. And Rick Snyder, my goodness gracious me, I, I don't know, quite frankly, why he is not behind bars for some of the things that we are seeing. I mean, I just have to be really honest with you, Susan. Some of the things that we've seen over the last five or six years with the Flint water crisis, which is the next topic of conversation I wanted to get to. Um, There was a report that came out roughly maybe about two or three weeks ago now on the sixth anniversary or sixth commemoration of the beginning of this crisis in Flint that Rick Snyder had known about the situation with the water at least a year before in 2013. Am I not getting that? Am I getting that right? That there was a report out that he did that? There's been some excellent reporting, um, especially by the Flint Journal, the local paper, um, that really unearthed so much of this earlier um, and, and um, got the documentation on the, the, the administration's complete mishandling of this issue. Um, and even his own task force that he put together laid chief blame at his feet for the crisis. So there's really no way around it. But... You know, the Republican legislature at the time did a pro forma investigation. You you don't find things that you don't want to find, so they didn't. And so, you know, there are, are various court cases right now, but um, there was no accountability from the legislature, which is quite a turnaround to their attitude about anything that the Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, does, whether it's for COVID-19 or just trying to fix things like the roads for the state budget. And there's been a real fight about the roads and the budgets. And you've talked about this in in numerous reporting that you've done as well about the the fight for monies that are being allocated, um, the extraordinary steps that the Republicans are taking to um, completely decimate the power uh, of the governor. One of the things I was going to ask you about in furtherance of the conversation here about the Flint water crisis is where do you see things right now? I know that Governor Whitmer um, said that she wanted to earn trust back um, when she took power, when she took office back in the beginning of 2019. There's still, I think, a lot of situations in Flint that have not been resolved around this water. I think some people, some activists um, Mm -hmm. have been, uh, have had some differences shall we say, with, uh, with the Governor Whitmer, if I'm not mistaken, around yes. some of this with the water and it being shut off. Can you talk a bit more about that for the purposes of those who may not be familiar? So there are, are still massive needs in Flint, um, even though there has been you know testing by federal and state agencies that show that the water is, is safe. Obviously, many people don't you know, feel comfortable because they were lied to. Um, and a lot of people still feel left behind. There are children who are, are just 
going to be forever scarred by this, as Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha's research has shown, you know, lead poisoning is something that young children just can't get over because of the fact that it, it really harms their brain function. Um, and it's, it's a tragedy, and um, there are so many people that are waiting for justice because um, you have a couple different court actions. You have civil and criminal and the previous attorney general, uh, who's a Republican, Bill Schuette, um, most people don't feel that his investigation um, was where it needed to be. Um, there were a whole bunch of devices, including those that were tied to Governor Rick Snyder, um, that had to be seized after uh, Dana Nessel, the, the Democratic attorney general, took, took you know came. Uh, into office. That was something that was never looked into before. They found just reams of paperwork, um, boxes of information that hadn't been gone through. So if you are a person in Flint, obviously you don't feel like you have justice. Obviously you don't feel like you and your family are safe. And obviously you feel that the Democratic administration could be doing more for you. Those are completely fair uh, judgments for people to render. But unfortunately, the roots of this crisis are with the previous Republican administration and the way that the um, previous attorney general handled things. And, and unfortunately, that means that there are people who have been suffering from the last health crisis who now have a new health crisis to deal with. Indeed. Um, and Bill Schuette lost the uh, governor, governor, governor's election in 2018 yes. to governor to uh, uh Gretchen Whitmer correct she did lose he did correct. lose that yeah and she had taken it's a tangled web <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she had taken um at least i mean she took all the major counties in the state and she'd also taken a number of places that had voted for Trump in 2016 and and um did very well and and that brought in the influx as you said of of female uh, leaders in, in a lot of, of the positions. And, you know, I think of uh, places like Finland and uh, Sweden, where you have um, all female cabinets, well in Sweden, all female cabinet, except for the prime minister. And then in Finland, uh, uh, I think pretty much an all female uh, cabinet and a, a prime minister as well. So, I mean, Michigan is taking on that model and we're seeing um, more female governors. I mean, I think there are eleven in the in the country at the moment, and, and we certainly need more. We're um, speaking of, of that also in the in the house. We we have a wave of women in the house now, and um, you know the the two thousand eighteen midterms ushered that in. Um, what I would like to ask you about now, Susan, is particularly the issue of. Just one other thing on this crisis and, and the water crisis, because this to me is the epitome of where the Republicans have done a lot of corrosive damage. Hiring Rick Snyder, as he did, as Rick Snyder when he was in, hiring emergency managers, quote unquote, this seems like a euphemism for this libertarian model of bringing in private business entities to come in and completely bypass state government. I mean, that is what I think you're seeing. And I think that's exactly what happened. Did it not? It did. 
So, you know, a lot of states, and, and Michigan included, had an emergency financial manager law if you couldn't manage your finances. But when Rick Snyder came into office and we were coming off the Great Recession and the state and, and cities were all broke, um, he pushed a very aggressive version of this law that you could take over not just finances, you could shred contact, contracts, which obviously that's a, a cause near and dear to Republicans' hearts to go after unions. Um, but you could also make policy decisions like switching the water system in Flint, um, which you know was something that previously couldn't be done. Um, and, and Flint was not the only city under an emergency manager. We had them in, in several cities, including Detroit, which eventually went through the, the world's biggest municipal bankruptcy. Um, and, you know, there, there are horror stories that abound, but none bigger than in Flint, um, because you had somebody who had really almost absolute power who could make these decisions and um, there really wasn't a check on that. Um, you know, basically you would have a city council like in Flint, they would still meet, but they had no veto power over what the emergency manager did. So, you know, when people say that democracy was really undermined, that's not an exaggeration. And it's made all the more um, vivid by... Um, the fact that actually the voters of Michigan in 2012 uh, voted to overturn the emergency manager law. Six weeks later, in another lame duck session, the Republican legislature went and reinstated the law, and Rick Snyder signed it. And it's that law that was the foundation of the emergency manager's powers uh, and what he did in Flint just, you know, that year in 2013. Wow. My goodness me. The the thing that this is just, and, and as you've pointed out, this is certainly happening in a lot of other states where Republicans are doing a lot of dirty tricks, deceptions, all kinds of things, and things that are, quite frankly, I think, illegal, um, in order to make sure that they control the infrastructures of things. I mean, one of the biggest things that Michigan is going through uh, and has gone through, as have many other states, is the change in voter laws and how voter ID, and this is what I want to talk a bit more about now, about voter ID and voter laws, the signature law in Michigan, I think that is still in place where there has to be an exact match signature. Mm -hmm. There have been so many battles in Michigan about this back and forth. You have, you have people in the Democratic side that are making sure, you know, fighting tooth and nail to make sure that these Republican laws um, are discarded. I mean, we don't have a proper constitutional right to vote in this country. And so this is one of the biggest things that accounts for a lot of this. But can you talk about this voter ID battle and the vote suppression or what I would call vote stealing that's going on? in Michigan and could happen again this November and also for August, which you have an election in August as well. So a voter ID law was something that Rick Snyder did sign, um, not surprisingly. <laughs> and um, 
we we are somewhat unusual in Michigan in that also in that pivotal 2018 election, we passed a sweeping voter rights constitutional amendment um, that was largely supported by the ACLU um, that increased um, no so many options for people from no reason absentee voting, mail-in voting, um, and um, made it possible for people to do same-day voter registration on the day of elections. So we've, we've seen our turnout has just gone sky high, even in, in small local elections. Um, and given what's going on with the pandemic, this is extremely crucial for this year when voting in person is, is a health risk um, in many cases. So um, we're fortunate that we stand out from a lot of states that we have that, but we still do have a voter ID law in the books that is separate that is being challenged, um, various aspects of it in court. Priorities USA, a, a liberal super PAC, has challenged a number of our voting provisions, and they've been doing this across the country to continue to push so that more and more people have access. But we've seen this become a national debate because, you know, voting by mail is 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 fairly innocuous, and it's, it's something that a lot of Republican voters do, senior citizens. Uh, the president himself does it. But he is pushing this conspiracy theory that it's now voter fraud to vote by mail. So we're seeing that become heavily politicized as we're looking at this looming general election in November. Yeah, and he'll and and, and Trump will also have to uh, talk to the military that he's the co- supposed commander of chief, uh, commander in chief of, and tell them <laughs> about how they're probably committing voter fraud, which they're not, of course. <laughs> <laughs> when they have yeah. to do their vote by mail. <laughs> right. Well, Hard to vote in person when you're in Afghanistan. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm going to take a short break now here for just a few moments. And um, uh, hopefully, Susan, you can uh, stick around for just a few more minutes. Um, I would really greatly appreciate that if you could. Um, yes. So I'm just going to take a break now here. Uh, The Politocrat here on Thursday, May the 7th, 2020. And I'll be right back. Thank you very much indeed for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. And here today, our guest is Susan Demas. She is the editor-in-chief of the Michigan Advance. You can go to michiganadvance.com. And Susan, you have a Twitter handle, I, I assume, I'm a suggest, I believe. Can you give that to us? Sure. It's S.J. Demas. Uh, S is in Sam. Uh, my last name is Demas. Um, so, uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm frequently on Twitter. Um, perhaps I shouldn't be. <laughs> are, you, are you saying anything on Twitter that might get you in trouble? or <laughs> <laughs> Not so far, but I'm fairly candid. <laughs> you haven't been suspended yet, huh? No, no, nothing like that. But I, 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 I'm sure, obviously, 
many people don't agree with my perspective. Right, right. (laughs) Michigan, and you're talking of perspective, Michigan is, like a lot of states, is a very interesting state where you're talking about the disbursement of how people's political uh, philosophies are in terms of, and people talk about red state, blue state, and I try to stay away from that kind of color coding of things. I know that's a very easy way in a political discourse for, for people to associate things. It's very black and white, red states versus blue. But there's a lot of nuance too. Um, and I think that that gets mixed, missed. But how would you assess the um, geographics and demographics politically, where you find people that tend to be more democratic leaning? Obviously in different counties, I mean, there's lots of counties in Michigan. Can you talk just a bit about that? in terms of the political demographic landscape of where people are? Sure. So um, Michigan is, is a pretty big state, not, not nearly as big as California, but um, in, you know we have 10 million people. Um, I, I live in the capital city of Lansing. If I want to go hiking in the western upper peninsula where there are beautiful mountains and waterfalls uh, bordering Wisconsin, it would take me eight hours to drive there, which is about how long it would take me to drive to Washington, D.C. So, you know, fairly big states. Um, and, and obviously you have people who have very different interests. I mean, you know, you have people just in terms of sports who root for the Chicago Cubs. You have some who are, are diehard, um, you know, um, fans of the Green Bay Packers because it, we literally are right next door. Um, people obviously support the Lions and Tigers even though in Detroit, even though their teams are nothing to write home about. Um, so just to give you a sense, because usually that is an indication that people have various loyalties and interests. Um, you know, everybody knows Detroit, um, home of the auto industry, um, and, uh, you know, is, is still a major city. Um, population has dropped quite a bit since the 1950s, but still it's our biggest city. The Detroit metro area is huge because even if people moved out of the city, they just moved to surrounding communities. So, um, you know, Oakland County is, is a very prosperous county. It used to be highly Republican. Um, now it hasn't voted for a Republican for president in, you know, uh, dating back, I think, to George W. Bush. Um, so you, you've seen a real flip there, especially with suburban women. Macomb County, a lot of people know because, you know, auto workers, bowling alleys, all the stereotypes. That was a huge Trump county that flips between Democrats and Republicans. Um, and then you have various counties around there, City of Ann Arbor, where the University of Michigan is. So that's where most people in this state live for the most part. But, you know, you have smaller cities like Flint, um, like Saginaw, industrial cities um, have a good African-American population. Lansing, the capital is like that. And they've been reeling because manufacturing and the auto industry have been contracting for so many years. And the good jobs that used to exist just don't. Um, Then you have West Michigan, um, home of Betsy DeVos, Trump's education secretary, a billionaire family that is extremely generous to politicians across the land. Um, 
Grand Rapids used to be a, a huge Republican base. Gerald Ford is from there. There's a lovely presidential library. Um, but the city itself has turned Democratic, and some of the surrounding areas are turning as well. That That's a, a hot spot for the Trump campaign because they know they're weak there, and Gretchen Whitmer actually won it. Um, and, and then you have communities along the Lake Michigan shore, which are beautiful. You have northern Michigan. Um, the Upper Peninsula, not nearly as highly populated, but they're more rural, more conservative. Um, they've been hurting for a long time because there just aren't a lot of jobs up there, not ones that pay a lot. So um, you have a lot of different parts of the state, a lot of different interests, and all of that kind of blends together to make us one of those swing states, one of those purple states that get a lot of attention in, in presidential years like this. And it seems never than ever before it is now where Michigan is really, I mean, people talk about Ohio, but I think Michigan arguably even more so now is the, um, it, to borrow an oft used phrase, epicenter of the political uh, battles for 2020 in the general election coming. I mean, I mean, if you look back um, to late last year and just before late last year where you had Trump attacking John Dingle and Debbie Dingle. I mean, it was really horrible. It was really horrible. I mean, you know, it's something that we've sadly gotten used to. But these kinds of attacks that Trump made on, on the Dingles, who are an institution of their own in your state. Absolutely. You know, John Dingle was the longest serving member of Congress um, in history just died last year. It, it seems a lot longer, but it was just last year. Um, and he had been succeeded, you know, years previous by his wife. Um, John Dingell's father actually served during the FDR era and was the founder of, you know, the universal health care, you know, movement that's now turned into the, the rallying cry of Medicare for all. That was him. That was his father. Um, they're institutions in Michigan, and and for at at a rally, um, you know that we were covering it right right near Christmas on the day that Trump was impeached. You know he took to the podium and he basically said John Dingell is in hell, which you know is you know pretty much if you take the most popular person in your state and you say that person is going to hell, that's what Trump did in Michigan, um, and he did get blowback from. Republicans, um, some of them, but it was more, this is uncivil, this is not right, as opposed to this is part of a pattern of behavior and this is going too far. And why would you com continue to antagonize somebody's widow as, as he has on Twitter so many times? Mm -hmm. um, not just saying, I don't like you and with his various insults, but by say, laughing at her pain, laughing at the funeral. Well, I, you know, that's just something that, you know, we're not used to in politics. Maybe we are now, but I don't think we should ever really get used to. Totally. I totally do agree with you there on that. Um, and, and this is a pattern, as we've seen from Trump, the misogyny uh, and all these other attacks on women, not to mention, of course, um, all of the things that, that he has been alleged to have done to women. Oh, my goodness, we could be here <laughs> for a day or two, I mean, talking about yeah. about that because that that is a really, to say the least, a really serious problem. Um, I wanted to just spend these last few minutes uh, 
talking about the pandemic and talking in Michigan and talking about, and you alluded to this earlier, Susan, just a couple of days ago, you had an election and it was largely done through absentee ballot voting and it has been a big success. Your secretary of state says that this is going to probably replicate itself in August and in November. So that's one piece of this. And then the pandemic itself and these protests against the governor, of course, none of these people protested against Rick Snyder. <laughs> you know, um, none of them <laughs> stormed the Capitol and protested mm -hmm. what he was doing with Flint. But they are now attacking Governor Whitmer in a very misogynistic way as well. And also bringing nooses, swastikas, Confederate battle flags and guns. Yes. Uh, you know, I've covered so many protests in my lifetime at the Capitol and beyond. And, and really, the, the only thing that was in the ballpark of, of what we saw in Michigan last Thursday was the Ku Klux Klan rallies that I've covered. Um, you had similar elements. You had militiamen who were there supposedly for protection. You had the extreme racist language being used. I mean, you had members of the legislature who are African-American being called the N-word. You had the chief law enforcement um, officer in the House who was African-American being called racial slurs. Mm. It, it was, you know, and, and our lieutenant governor, who is the first African-American lieutenant governor, Garland Gilchrist, his primary job is to preside over the Senate. So, you know, he was there for all of this. Um, and, um, you know, you, you also had the extreme misogyny. You had the posters, tyrant bitch, you know, and mm. calling for Governor Whitmer's assassination explicitly. Um, and I, I do want to say that um, I think something that's been lost in some of the coverage is, you know, the idea that, oh, these are extremists and, you know, certainly mainstream Republicans are not on board. They are. Um, the, the leaders of the House and Senate did not have to let these folks in the building. And it wasn't just that they were in the building. Um, there were 22 uh, protesters allowed in the Senate gallery, many of them heavily armed, who were looming over lawmakers as they were casting votes about the governor's emergency powers during this, this COVID-19 pandemic. That's a threat. They were invited in. That's intimidation. So any any little apologies about, oh, these people are jackasses and they don't represent us, they were invited in. Um, and, and they mm. were because Republicans need the racist and sexist fringe to win and to fight Governor Whitmer, who is still extremely popular in this state, as are her policies. I have no idea if it's going to stay that way, but they're not representing anywhere close to the majority in fighting her right now. So um, I do think that that's a little different element than we've seen from some of these other protests in other states that have been disturbing in their own ways, because you have seen these protesters get support and cover from the Republican leadership. Right. And these protests are being financed. And you mentioned Betsy DeVos. Um, her family or people in her family are, pro uh, are financing these things. You've got um, these uh, gun nuts, for lack of a better term for them, uh, on the social media platforms in Michigan and elsewhere, uh, a trio of brothers elsewhere uh, behind these protests. 
This is not about public health and safety. It's about the very opposite, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. I mean, you know, because Republicans in Washington don't want to spend the money to give people a universal basic income, to give them health insurance, to give them sick leave so that we can all survive this crisis uh, with as few deaths and, and, and as few people getting sick as possible, because they don't want to invest the money in that, there is this huge push to open the states, to open the country. You see that being pushed by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, various CEOs, um, and, and they also want immunity if any of their workers get sick or die. Um, so there's a huge financial interest in this. And, you know, the protesters who showed up um, probably didn't have you know, the bottom line of, of CEOs in mind is they were, you know, screaming and waving their guns. But, you know, they do know that we have a female governor and, a, and an African-American lieutenant governor. And that's enough for some of these folks to get very upset. Um, but I think it's very clear that there's a moneyed interest at heart. Right, right. And, and meanwhile, None of these folks at all were wearing masks last week. For the most part, I didn't see them. I don't know if you did being on the ground there. And then you've got, what, 46,000 uh, cases and 4.2, well, 4,200 people dead now in Michigan and climbing of yes. COVID-19? Uh, roughly, that that's where our numbers are at. You know, we, we're still at number three in this in the country for the number of deaths, um, which is just something that you know Republican leaders don't want to talk about. Um, which is just incomprehensible that you have over four thousand people dead um, in just a month and a half, and and that's supposed to be an afterthought. Um, yeah, they, they were not social distancing. They were not wearing masks overall. Um, one of our reporters was there, and um, there was somebody who was just not adhering to gun safety and knocked her in the head with one of with a gun. Whoa. Um, you know, we don't think it was purposeful. Um, she did. T- she did make sure that the police took down a report on it. Um, nobody, you know, she didn't know who did it. So there are no charges to press. And I don't think it was malicious, but anybody who understands gun safety knows that you should never be in a position where, you know, you're waving around a gun and it hits somebody. Wow. Oh my goodness me. And, um, my goodness, that is just, whoa, I did. Wow. I mean, you know, dear, dear, um, and the open carry, Michigan's an open carry state, I presume. We are. Yeah. yeah. And um, and these weapons are loaded, I'm assuming, or there is a provision that allows them to be? Can you talk they about are, that? Yes, yeah. you can carry a loaded weapon. So for all we know, um, and, I, and no one's going to ask these people if they're loaded, but for all we know, these guns were loaded on top of having the guns to begin with bringing them into a uh, Senate chamber and a gallery. And and you did have lawmakers who said they were wearing bulletproof vests. Good grief. Wow. Well, the the last thing I want to ask you is, my goodness. um, Do you you see the police arresting any of these people, by the way? (laughs) There was one arrest because there was one protester who assaulted another. 
but it, it, you know, what we've seen in all of these states, I mean, I, I, I saw the video of a protest in Sacramento where you had protesters literally pushing police around. Um, there, there seems to be a, a real um, push not to give these people the, the PR that they want by arresting them, which I, I understand, but those of us who have covered progressive protests in the, in the past, I've covered union protests with tons of people arrested. Certainly the Black Lives Matter protests are the most vivid um, example where, you know, people were arrested who didn't do anything wrong. So, you, you know, the racial element here seems very clear in, in how people are, are being treated by law enforcement. Absolutely. And one last thing, um, the Republican legislature and, uh, you know, led by the, the Senate majority leader there in Michigan, telling Governor Whitman, no, you cannot extend the stay at home order. You cannot. I mean, and then she actually had to release an email uh, exchange to the public about this. Right. Because they wanted to, to bargain with her. Okay, well, if you want to protect public safety with a state of emergency, you have to give up some of your power to go and do more measures to protect people. I mean, this isn't a budget negotiation where it's, I want this program, you want that program. This is over 4,000 people are dead. How do we prevent more from dying? Right, right. Oh, my goodness. So much for the... Uh... This, this, the whole notion of the pro-life brigade, um, I think, is in serious jeopardy with people who are bringing guns and nooses and swastikas and, and uh, threatening women and, and, and hitting them with guns. I mean, this is just wow. Oh, oh my goodness gracious me. I have to say, um, this Republican legislature, um, do you have any confidence that people in Michigan, because the trend looks like it's going to head this way, but do you have confidence that people in Michigan are going to try to vote these people out of office in August or in the general election coming in November? I think that right now it looks bad for President Trump in Michigan, and it, it has long before this crisis. Um, you know, I don't think I'm speaking out of school there. But in terms of Republicans in the legislature, like so many other states, you know, we have a gerrymandered you know, map for both the House and Senate, they were designed by Republicans in the legislature, signed by Republican Governor Rick Snyder, you know, to keep as many Republicans in office. And so it's very hard for Democrats to get a majority. Um, the Senate is not up this year, so they cannot win the Senate. That waits till until 2022. The House is up. It would take four seats to flip, which does not sound a lot. There are 110 seats, but um, all of the seats that are, you know, that they would have to win, um, which is very tough and will take a lot of money. Mm. Wow. Well, 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 Michigan, indeed, lots to talk about. Uh, of course, um, we could go on and talk for a good hour or so, but I know time is precious uh, for you, and, and certainly um, we could have another conversation about that, perhaps closer to the general election. Uh, that would be great to have you back. Oh, thank you. I would look forward to that. 
And once again, uh, this is Susan Demas of the Michigan Advance. Her Twitter handle is SJDemas, D-E-M-A-S. And you can go and find her there on Twitter. And you can also go to www.michiganadvance.com. She is the editor-in-chief of the Michigan Advance and does some great work there. Susan, thank you so very much for your time and talking about Michigan today here on The Politograt. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.